This is Ozarks at Large for Thursday, August 31st, 2023. I'm Matthew Moore. Ahead on today's show, a group of concerned citizens in Carroll County might slow down a major wind farm installation. I think we're looking at all options. We're looking at the possibility of of litigation. We're looking at make sure the scout meets all their requirements and make sure that they provide the the, uh, proper analysis. Plus, a major expansion for Northwest Arkansas's largest cancer care provider. We all know that Northwest Arkansas has just been continuing to grow and grow and grow. And uh, Highlands since 1996, but in particular in the last five years or so, has has really been, been focusing on matching that growth effort and And we've done so successfully. And a variety of childhood influences make for unique music from the duo Daz and Bree. Bree was more like Disney princess, grew up singing with family, and I was more like concert band, punk rock, emo kid. (laughs) First the news from NPR. Disney Concerts presents Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back in Concert, Friday, September 8th at the Walmart Amp. Guests will watch a screening of the film as members of the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas perform John Williams' Oscar-winning score live. Tickets available at amptickets.com or enter to win a pair of tickets at KUAF.com. KUAF is supported by its contributing listeners and by the Arkansas Podcast Collaborative, presenting Arcast Podcast Festival September 20th and 21st, where guests can hear from Arkansas podcasters as well as national experts, including the School of Podcasting and PRX, producers of shows like This American Life, Snap Judgment, and Reveal. More at ArkansasPodcasters.org. Good Thursday. It's August 31st, 2023. And this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. And this is 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Later on our show, a conversation with the musical duo Daz and Bree. They'll be performing in a McDonald's play place tomorrow in Fayetteville as part of the Lunch Hour Summer Concert Series. We'll hear that conversation in our second half hour. We'll start this Thursday with an update on some previous reporting in Carroll County. I'm joined by Jacqueline Froelich, who has an update on Nimbus, a $300 million private wind energy facility. Welcome, Jackie. Hi, Matthew. This project is being led by Scout Clean Energy, a company headquartered in Colorado, and has proposed the construction of the wind farm in eastern Carroll County. And as you've reported, if this Nimbus project goes through, it will be the largest wind farm in Arkansas, with 43 towers erected across 10,000 acres of Ozark Mountain Ridgetop, south of Green Forest. Have all of the necessary property easements been obtained at this point? Yes, sufficient lease contracts are signed by willing rural property owners, and they will be compensated. Apparently, Scout Clean Energy land agents scoured eastern Carroll County for years with no public disclosure to obtain these easements. Reporter Becky Gillette with the Eureka Springs Independent first broke this story earlier this year. So... Why do this in Carroll County, of all places? I know, right? Wind maps, however, reveal mountain ridges south of Green Forest to be prime terrain due to the topography. But it will take ginormous wind towers standing 500 to 650 feet tall, turbines and blades several hundred feet long, to catch enough wind to be sold on the energy market. Yeah, it's kind of hard to to think about how big that is, right? Yeah. Have you talked with any scout folks recently about the project status? Of course. Whenever I file reports about Nimbus, I um, queried Scout Clean Energy and 
Chad Thompson, who's their community relations guy, responded by email recently saying the company has not yet identified an off-taker. Mm-hmm. That's an industry term referring to power supply purchasing purchasers. Rather, Scout must also build a new transmission facility to deliver the power to the off-taker via an existing substation owned by Arkansas Electric Cooperative Corporation. Depending on who buys the power, state energy regulators may get involved, and that requires a docket and hearings in Little Rock. Scott want, Scout wants to avoid all of that. Right. So they need someone to buy the power and they need someone or they need a way to get the power to that person who wants to buy it. Right. This isn't the only reason that Scout has targeted Carroll County, though. Right. Carroll County Quorum Court is comprised of strong private property rights advocates. So Scout has free reign to build the wind farm aside from U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service review. And that's pending. But you say there's a wrench in the works. Yeah, a couple wrenches. The newly formed Concerned Citizens of Carroll County says the Nimbus construction as well as future rural roads expansion will harm the region's sensitive karst ecosystem as well as bats and birds. Residents also worry about nuisance flicker, as it's called, and noise caused by the massive turbines. Former Carroll County Judge Richard Williams owns a small farm that will be surrounded by Nimbus wind towers. I visited his place. It's really remote and gorgeous. He tried to speak at a recent county quorum court meeting. They refused. The county judge refused to allow me to even bring it up, period. Things were really tense at that meeting because an emergency ordinance sponsored by a justice of the peace to establish rules and regulations to control tower installations and associated noise in Carroll County failed six to five. It's a surprisingly close vote. Yeah. So that's good news for Scout. Yeah, because Scout is under pressure of hitting a deadline before the end of next year. They have to deploy Nimbus by then to qualify for more than $100 million for federal clean energy tax credits over the life of the facility. And that's one-third of the project's cost. We can all agree that transitioning to clean energy is imperative given our climate crisis, but this private for-profit wind array, a growing number of locals say, is an intrusion. And you found that Scout launched a PR campaign this summer in an attempt to spur public support using a green forest postal code to encourage residents to protect their private property rights. Yes, I asked Chad Thompson about this, and he responded in writing that since going public with the project last spring, quote, that Scout Clean Energy has worked to educate the public about the benefits of the Nimbus Wind Farm to Carroll County and the potential impacts if the county were to prohibit the development of the project, end quote, likely referring to loss of tax revenue from the project and easement payments. Thompson also disclosed to me that the company delivered 500 letters of support from county residents asking county officials to, quote, protect private property rights. It's an astonishing move by a private industry. Uh, Perhaps the strangest element of this update, in my opinion at least, is the long-lost comprehensive land use ordinance that was approved by Carroll County Quorum Court back in 2011, but it was never filed. It was recently salvaged by a county clerk. Yeah, through a Freedom of Information Act, I requested any zoning documents from the county, and I got one page, a cover page, of a 2011 land use ordinance. And 
nothing else was attached to it. The document was discovered in a collection of papers scheduled for shredding, Williams says, retrieved and filed by County Clerk Connie Doss. Due diligence, she did. Mm-hmm. The thing is, this decade-old ordinance, which could regulate construction of the Nimbus project, may never be taken up by the Quorum Court. It remains tabled for now. And one final thing, the new nonprofit Concerned Citizens of Carroll County recently hired a attorney from Fayetteville, Matt Bishop, to intervene. Bishop, as you've reported, is a native of Carroll County. Yeah, so he knows the terrain really well, and I called him up to see what he has planned. I think we're looking at all options. We're looking at the possibility of, uh, of litigation. We're looking at making sure that, you know, U.S. Fish and Wildlife make sure the scout meets all their requirements and make sure that they provide the, the uh, proper analysis of, for example, um, taking of, of migratory birds. That term, that word take, is U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service jargon for allowing the killing of certain quota of wildlife during industrial development and operations. I queried scout about this and was told a U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service decision should be issued by early next year. The location of the proposed wind farm is fairly pristine, covered in forests, prairies, and farms, where Scout, I was told, is ready to break ground as soon as late autumn. Hmm. Of this year? Yeah. Wow. That's Ozarks at Large news reporter Jacqueline Froelich updating us on the proposed Nimbus Industrial Wind Project in eastern Carroll County. Thanks as always, Jacqueline. You're welcome. Electric vehicle company Canoe announced earlier this month that they were replacing their chief financial officer effective immediately. Greg Etheridge replaces Ken Magnet, who became the CFO in January of this year. The EV company first announced in November of 2021 they would be moving their headquarters to Bentonville with a research and development center located in Fayetteville as well. Neither of those have happened yet. The company has struggled financially as well having never posted a single profitable quarter and little to show for their spending so far. In mid-July, Canoe said it delivered three crew transportation vehicles to Kennedy Space Center in Florida as part of a contract with NASA. And they've also said a deal has been struck with Walmart for 4,500 electric delivery vans. No commercially available vehicles have been brought to the market at this time. StoryCorps is celebrating its 20th anniversary, and they're not the only ones with a big milestone. My name is Mike Walnuts. I'm here with my wife, Deborah Burkars. It's been almost 20 years. We're still together. We revisit a couple who got engaged in a StoryCorps recording booth on the next Morning Edition from NPR News. Morning Edition, tomorrow from 5 to 9 on KUAF. Later on our show, a conversation with Jeff Honeycutt, the CEO at Highlands Oncology, about the upcoming expansion of their campus. We have flexibility. We have options um, in, a, in a very small, in a very small um, uh, radius of, of land where, gosh, between, you know, it's, it's not even an exit or an exit and a half away between the, right. the, our current site and the proposed new site. So it gives us a lot of options, which is great. Paul Gatling brings us that conversation in today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report in about six minutes. In the background is pianist Andy Milne performing Con Alma, and I'm Robert Ginsberg, your host for Shades of Jazz. 
On this week's edition of the show, we will hear music from Samara Joy, Noam Lemish, Kenny Werner, Gregoire Marais, and more from Andy Milne. Tune in this Friday and Saturday right here on KUAF 91.3 FM. Shades of Jazz. Been on KUAF since 1980. You can listen Friday at 10 p.m. on 91.3 KUAF. And you can also listen on Saturdays at 11 a.m. on KUAF 3. It's a station where we have jazz music, local music programming, all of that available on KUAF 3. You can listen by asking your smart speaker to please play KUAF 3. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. And I'm Jack Travis. A reporting error is likely to cost Crawford County more than $3.5 million. A May 2022 election countywide to extend a 1% sales and use tax was approved by the voters. As Talk Business and Politics reports, prior to an election, a city or county may provide the Arkansas Department of Finance and Administration with proof of publication and the mayor or judge's proclamation of election results at least 90 days prior to the effective date of the tax. Crawford County did not do this in time. Crawford County Judge Dennis Gilstrap told Talk Business and Politics they certified the election, but some paperwork that was supposed to be filed didn't get filed. The situation has now been fixed, but the sales tax continuation will not resume until January 1, 2024. Nine high school students are studying abroad this fall thanks to a Northwest Arkansas Rotary Club youth exchange program now in its 40th year. Paul Reagan is a member of Fayetteville Rotary Club, which is located within Regional District 6110, encompassing the four corners of Missouri, Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Kansas. The study abroad program uh, available through Rotary allows a high school student to study in another country for one school year in August or September and return in June or July. The scholarships are raised by members and help cover the cost of school fees, room and board with host families, and also provide a monthly stipend. Travel is not covered. And the students apply online and um, fill out a rather extensive application. In fact, it may be the most extensive application they fill out in their lifetime because most of them are underage. I, I do not think if I saw that program when I was that age, I would even have considered applying. It's a rare group that chooses that option. The benefits of programs like Rotary Youth Exchange have been quantified by the American Psychological Association, showing individuals who study abroad tend to be more enterprising and creative. A couple of examples. Uh, One young man from Fayetteville, uh, in fact, he's a restaurant owner in Fayetteville now, the Atlas. Um, He went to France and uh, studied in a French cooking school high school. Uh, His brother is now in the diplomatic corps in Africa, and he studied in Italy. Reagan says this is a true exchange program. Families here are hosting students from France, Italy, and Germany matched with local schools. Nationwide Rotarians coordinate almost 10,000 student exchanges per year. The Fayetteville Public Library is hosting a live-action role-play, or LARP Day, this Saturday. The event will bring participants into the library's Innovation Center to take part in workshops to learn skills such as foam dagger making and medieval fashion design. Attendees will also have the chance to try out some faux combat with local LARP group AmGuard on the Gathering Glade. 
Fabrication Robotics Lab Coordinator Shelby Fleming says an event like the LARP Day offers community members a different kind of experience. We're constantly making things and thinking critically and problem solving in very unique ways. Um, and then just this is gives someone another creative outlet in order to explore another community entity that they can get involved in in their area. And a lot of people haven't had this type of experience or exposure before, so they can really, you know, dive into something that they might have not felt a part of before. Fleming says there's something for everyone at the event, even if you just want to come check out the Innovation Center. You know, it's for LARPers, creatives, um, anyone that's likes uh, learning about medieval things as well. Um, you know, it's a great day. Cosplayers as well. We had a lot of cosplayers show up last year in elf attire. So it's just a great fun day. We also have like a, a photo booth where you can dress up in LARP attire. And then uh, we actually email your photo at the very end. The action begins at the Fayetteville Public Library at 10 a.m. Visit their website for more information. The first glimpse of a movie filmed in Northwest Arkansas is now available. The trailer for What Happens Later has been released. Hello, Wilhelmina. Hello, William. How have you been? Oh, for the last 20 years. 25, maybe. I've been 49 forever and ever and ever. Wow, lucky you. I feel like I've been in my 50s since my 20s. (laughs) That's so true. You don't have to agree with me. Attention, Boston and Austin passengers. Those flights have been delayed until further notice. Just those two flights? Just us. Yes. That's unbelievable. unbelievable. The film stars Meg Ryan and David Duchovny and was directed by Meg Ryan. The rom-com about a former couple coincidentally reunited at an airport appears to use both XNA and Crystal Bridges as backdrops. The film will open in theaters October 13th. The 21st-ranked Arkansas Razorback volleyball team came within a couple of points of pulling off an upset of number 1 Wisconsin last night in Barnhill Arena. The Badgers defeated Arkansas 15-13 in the fifth set. The two teams meet again tonight at 7 p.m. And yesterday we mentioned the volleyball match happening in Lincoln, Nebraska, attempting to break the world record of the highest-attended women's sporting event 92,003 fans were in attendance at Memorial Stadium, breaking the record. The Cornhuskers beat Omaha three sets to none handily. Time now for today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. I'm Paul Gatling. Highlands Oncology is in the very early stages of planning a major expansion in Benton County. We will discuss those plans today with CEO Jeff Honeycutt. Also ahead, the handle at Arkansas's three sportsbooks dipped in July, but the most lucrative time of year is just around the corner. And a $17 million land sale sets the stage for a new urbanism project in Rogers. Those stories and more are ahead after the break on today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Support for the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report is provided by the Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce and Associated Industries of Arkansas. The Chamber's mission is to promote a pro-business, free enterprise agenda and prevent legislation, regulation, and rules that hinder business. ArkansasStateChamber.com Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield For more than 70 years, Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield has used its knowledge and compassion to create healthcare solutions for individuals and businesses. More information at ArkansasBlueCross.com. First Security is proud to be only in Arkansas. They offer smart solutions for personal and business banking, plus convenient services and community investment. First Security, member FDIC. 
Equal Housing Lender. It's in the very early stages, but the region's largest cancer care provider is planning a major expansion in Benton County. Highlands Oncology closed a deal last week to pay $13.6 million for 51 acres along southbound Interstate 49 in Rogers. The land is along South Bellevue Road east of the district at Pinnacle Hills. Highlands will develop the property into a cancer care campus anchored by a state-of-the-art 150,000 square foot facility. Jeff Honeycutt is the CEO of Highlands Oncology and I spoke with him this week to discuss those plans which he says are being driven by the region's continued growth. You know, we all know that Northwest Arkansas has just been continuing to grow and grow and grow and uh, yeah, Highlands, uh, gosh, I mean, since 1996, um, but but in particular in the last oh five years or so has has really um, has really been been focusing on matching that growth effort and and we've done so successfully. But yeah, it's it's very easy to look at you know the addition of a big building like in Springdale where we have 125,000 square feet or the new cancer center that we opened in in May and in Mountain Home which is 30,000 square feet. It's easy to look at those and, 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 and think about resting and think, hey, we've done our work, we've done great. But we know that this, this region is not going to slow down. It's only going to keep growing. And so looking at Rogers, we have an existing 60,000-square-foot building that's, uh, that's it's in that area now. But um, every day it feels like we're pushing the walls out further and further you know, on our own operations. And so we knew that we needed to expand. And, and uh, Benton County, there's so much growth that's happening up there and, and continues to, to be the leader in this area as far as expansion um, from, from county to county or from city to city. So we knew that's where we needed to focus. And so uh, for us, it was, it was looking at, well, do we expand on our existing campus? Do we, uh, do we look at alternative sites? And, and this site that's, uh, that's right there on I-49 just uh, happened to be the perfect spot and uh, fit, a, fit a lot of the immediate needs that we know we'll have, but also gives us the room to facilitate growth and innovation into the future. Yeah, you mentioned those uh, two, you know, what I would call flagship standalone facilities here in Northwest Arkansas, Springdale and Rogers. Do you envision, and again, very early in the process, do you envision um, those remaining or, or will this campus eventually consolidate all of your services to one central location here, which is this, this is the, that potential spot in, in Rogers? Yeah, Springdale is absolutely going to remain. Uh, that's a brand new right. building that we just opened in, in uh, the summer of 2020. As I mentioned, 125,000 square feet, lots of space, but probably more importantly is that we have a good amount of, of available land that's on that campus for us to be able to expand as, as we uh, continue to, to meet the needs for Washington County and, and, and even further east and west of us as well. Uh, that's a, a very much a flagship uh, campus for us. What we envision is um, building a, a similar, a, 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 uh, an impactful campus in, in Rogers for Benton County that would be very similar as far as its ability to expand and offer innovation across a variety of specialties for that patient population. So I do think that once that building is complete and that campus evolves, it will in all likelihood replace the, um, uh, replace the majority of operations at least that sit at our current Rogers location. There could be a scenario where we leave some of our services there. You know, a lot still yet to be determined. Um, mm -hmm. But it's nice because now we have a lot. Of, we have we have flexibility. We have options um, in a in a very small in a very small um, uh, radius of, of land. Where, gosh, between you know, it's, it's not even an exit or an exit and a half away between the, right. the our current site and the proposed new site. So it gives us a lot of options, which is great. What are 
some of the specific challenges that cancer patients face in Northwest Arkansas right now in terms of the care available here and the out-migration of care that, that you see? And, and how will this campus and the technology and the capabilities you are planning, how will this campus address that? Well, that's a good question. You know, Highlands has done a great job over the years of keeping, keeping Northwest Arkansas patients home um, and, and stopping some of that outflow. Now, I, I know in a variety of different specialty arenas here in the area, that's still an issue, and, and we know that we can still improve on that. Um, I'd say where we've had the most success over the years, um, first jumps off the page to me, is, is around our clinical trials program. Um, you know, the, having a robust, world-class, uh, innovative clinical trials program where, you know, we're getting the same trials that, that your, your Mayo clinics and your MD Andersons are, are, are offering at their clinics, and in some cases even at trials that they don't have. Um, that's step number one in building, uh, building the reputation of being able to provide in a innovative, cutting-edge, cutting world-class care for patients. Where I see how we can expand on that into the future is really around the theme of innovation. Uh, is looking at what are what are uh, different innovative approaches to medicine that not only can can people not find in the state of Arkansas, but gosh, you have you'll be hard pressed to find anywhere in the country as far as having those types of resources available on one campus. Uh, and that's our vision for that is is exploring things like uh, radio pharmaceutical development and theranostics, um, you know, strategic partnerships with uh, around around. Um, uh, you know, biotherapy development and, and working with other groups, working with, uh, with other innovative, like-minded healthcare partners and having the work that contribute to the cancer care journey and having those, those uh, practices and those groups on the same campus. Um, that type of vision, having a truly, a truly innovative medical healthcare campus, uh, you'd be hard-pressed to find that in many areas in the country. And, and uh, we think that the, 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 with the trajectory of Northwest Arkansas, uh, the people that are here, uh, this region absolutely deserves that type of cutting-edge approach. And that is Jeff Honeycutt, the chief executive at Highlands Oncology. Honeycutt said it is difficult to pinpoint when construction might begin at this stage of development, but the Benton County expansion is a primary objective. We've got more details about those plans online at nwabusinessjournal.com. College football season is upon us, and that will be welcome news for the state's sports gaming industry. The collective handle at Arkansas's three sports books in Hot Springs, West Memphis, and Pine Bluff was down 22% in July to about $17.5 million. Analysts at BetArkansas.com expect those numbers to skyrocket the next couple of months with football season's arrival. A local investment group is planning to create a master-planned mixed-use neighborhood west of Interstate 49 in Rogers that will utilize new urbanism design practices. John Schmelsley and his wife Kristen Bozeman of Rogers led an investment group that paid $17.1 million for about 202 acres of pasture land known as the Warren Family Farm. And Walter Reed National Military Medical Center in Maryland has joined a prosthesis study at the University of Arkansas with a $4.9 million grant. It is the first time the university has collaborated with Walter Reed, which houses one of the United States' premier clinics for patients with amputations and is one of just three military hospitals that treat traumatic upper extremity amputations. 
Now, we've got more details on all of those stories and more at nwabusinessjournal.com, where you can follow our reporting each and every day. I'm Paul Gatling, and that's the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Until next time, thanks for listening. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. KUAF's Lunch Hour Summer Concert Series, sponsored by McDonald's, continues tomorrow in Fayetteville. Daz and Bree will perform at the McDonald's on East Joyce in Fayetteville at noon. They've lit up stages across Arkansas with a high-energy mix of soul, punk, rock, and pop. This week, Daz and Bree talked with Ozarks at Large's Kyle Kellums about their music and their myriad influences. Bree and I started as a songwriter production duo. So we had two separate backgrounds and love for music, like different types of music. Um, and Brie, you can speak more to yours, but Brie was more like Disney princess, um, grew up singing with family. And I was more like concert band, punk rock, emo kid. <laughs> and so we meshed those and just wrote different genres all the time. And we made a practice of it. And so we're writers and producers who happen to create a fusion alternative punk rock soul band. Well, okay, so if we've got, you know, band and punk, and, Brie, I'm going to let you, def- not defend yourself, but I'm going to let you answer that, <laughs> Disney princess and that sort of thing. Is that an accurate description? Um, Part of it, yeah. I, I did grow up on show tunes, so I love the theater. And... um. <laughs> joy um so i did i did um get a little bit of punk influence in the early 2000s um but also really loved like um just girl bands so growing up i i really loved like it's club seven even though it's not a girl band but they were like had girls and then the spice girls and also really really so you're in the soul but that was also very much whitney houston and Mm -hmm. tina turner so we both I would say one thing about us is that we never wanted to put ourselves in a box because we did like a lot of music. That's one thing that we both really had in common was that we just love music. And so we decided that if we created it and it was a good song or it made us feel good, then we would put it out. So when you're coming with all these influences together and you're working together, would one of you have a lead of an idea and come to the other and say, what about this? Or or did you sit down together or however it works and sort of work organically together to create a song? Um, I believe that we created in multiple ways. So there was never like one system that we always stuck to, whether that was Bree singing a melody or sending like a voice memo and then me building a track around it or putting guitar or something around it or vice versa. If I sent Bree an instrumental, it was like, this is the vibe I'm on. And then she comes back with lyrics or melodies for that. And then eventually when we started working, simultaneously together it was just that whole melting pot of ideas and finding a way where okay if Bree has really great lyrics going I can work on the track maybe and vice versa if I was had lyrics going Bree had a melody in mind or was seeing the piano part or the guitar part so we kind of just essentially got in where we fit in uh, in the writing process there the song light up the world has just this amazing combination. Everything's working. 
and it sounds yeah. it sounds at once like it would be at home on I don't know an oldies station, but also right now contemporary. And the way the guitar, the way the voice, the way it all works, did that just? I mean, I'm imagining that that took a lot of effort, but it sounds effortless. So how did it? Oh. How did it come together? <laughs> Thank you, Bri. You want to tell that story? Um. So I think so. I want to say that Light of the World uh, was kind of like a birth. It was birthed from a song written by a, a friend of ours. Um, he had the the chord progression that we really really liked because it's a pretty universal chord progression, and that's why it feels so at home because you've heard it before. You heard it in um, the change is going to come. You heard it in um, other songs. So, but then uh, Daz and I were, I think sitting in my parents attic and we were sad about you know people just not really responding to our songwriting and we were like we just want to have a we want people to hear the music and just feel like they are taken to a festival a festival sound and I think Daz came up with those first lyrics and she said I want to know how the wind blows when the voices rise at a sold out show like what does that feel like because we were going to a lot of music festivals at the time I want to know How the wind blows when the voices rise at a sold out show. I want to be what made you feel this way. I want to know your name. And just that whole universal feeling of everybody's there for the same purpose and they're putting all their voices together and all this energy in a space and so it was like what what does that feel like when everybody's tuned in to the same idea and we want the same outcome we're just gonna light up the world with our voices and with our with goodness you talk about it sounded effortless um and so we really took our time and by took our time we wrote that song over a span of like four or five years where we were like there were songs that we would write like super fast and it felt right and it was good and we put it out. But that one took years to wear. And I think we knew that it it felt special to us in a sense of like, we want to do this right. We want to do this justice. So it wasn't one of those songs that we just like finished to say that we finished. We let it, essentially we let it come to us and, and wait it before we put it out. How much or how important is vulnerability in your songwriting? Because I think of what you just, you know, that line, I want to know what that feels like, and I think about paranoid. There, there's, there's, there's a a vulnerability that I think as listeners we relate to, but it still makes me think it's a little scary to perform in front of people and to share your songwriting. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think we took this approach of like <laughs> letting it all hang out in a sense of. We, I think we knew that they, these were experiences that other people shared. However, not everyone will talk about it or have the words to talk about it. And so I believe that we, we see it as a as an honor and kind of a duty to, to put that out in that way as writers. Like if we can express this feeling and share this moment with multiple people, and that's what we were put here to do. And so like while it is very vulnerable and 
scary even, but it's, I, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like we kind of have this sense of it needs to be done. When you're on stage, when you're performing, you're having a good time. And that's reflected because the people in the audience are having a good time. It's, you're taking this very seriously. It's, it's something that, you know, is close to you and you, you take a lot of respect for what you do. But how serious is it that you also have a good time while doing it and especially live? Good time is top priority. <laughs> That's number one. I think with writing and I think with most artists, like an artist may feel this way. I think we have a lot of the artists derived from pain, essentially, and experiences and some sort of like longing for something possibly, whether it's good or bad. And so I think the least that we could do is at least have like plan to have a good time. If I have any say over it, I want to be intentional about that thing because I am writing and releasing these feelings or experiences or whether it's trauma or happy memories or sadness. Like, I think a good time is due. It's always due. And so, yeah, I would, I would say that's top priority for us. And I also think you're doing a disservice to those people who have taken their time to come out and hang out with us if we're not having a good time if you know we have bad days and we've had shows where we got off stage and was like oh man i don't know about that and that might be like technical difficulties that might be lyrics we may have forgotten or just we didn't get the harmonies quite right but there's not been a time we've come off stage and been like oh that was a bad time <laughs> we always have a good time so yes we owe that to the art, and we owe that to the people that come out and, and take their time to come and listen to us. And, you know, with art, whether it's audio or visual or, or a play, we can always, we, the, the people who are hearing it or seeing it or experiencing it, have our own interpretation. I think of Think Too Much. I read the lyrics, and it's like, well, I, I can relate to overthinking. It might not be specific to that, but boy, that resonates. And... And I wonder if it's okay with y'all if those of us on the other side of the song sometimes come up with our own interpretation or adapt it to our own lives. Absolutely. I would say, I would say yes. That's like the best part about it. It's like, well, this is how we felt, and this was the moment that inspired that. But I believe we're, we're aware that it can apply to multiple experiences and, you know, different people with different experiences and backgrounds. So we, we love to hear stories even about it i think we have people come up almost every show after and was like this song or when you said this thing like that's our favorite part is to see how it, it resonates and impacts other people and encourages even other people to kind of maybe speak up about something or be vulnerable too like i think vulnerability is a sense of freedom it's liberating and so i think it's exciting to to kind of be the vulnerable vessel <laughs> Daz and Bree will perform at the McDonald's on East Joyce in Fayetteville tomorrow at noon as part of the KUAF Lunch Hour Concert Series. They talked with Ozarks at Large's Kyle Callums via Zoom earlier this week.
This is Lia Uribe, professor of music and associate dean at the University of Arkansas, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. We open Sound Perimeter today with the second movement of Bacchiana Brasileira Number no. 1, a composition for eight cellos written by the Brazilian composer Eitor Villalobos in 1930. The piece is inspired by the music of Johann Sebastian Bach, but also incorporates elements of Brazilian folk music. Baquena Brasileira No. 1 is a beautiful and unique work that showcases the expressive and virtuosic qualities of the cello. This piece is characterized by its lush and bright harmonies, an intricate interaction of musical lines and rhythmic vitality. Let us enjoy the rest of this movement entitled Prelude Modinha, referring vaguely to a Baroque slow piece and to a Brazilian sentimental love song, performed by the Yale cellos under the direction of Aldo Parizzo. This was the Yale cellos under the direction of Aldo Parizzo, second movement of Bacchiana Brasileira No. 1, a composition for eight cellos written by the Brazilian composer Eitor Villalobos. 
Born in 1980 to a musical family in Bulgaria, Dobrinka Tabakova moved to London in 1991, where she has lived since, holding both Bulgarian and British citizenships. She graduated from the Guildhall School of Music and Drama and holds a PhD in composition from King's College in London. Her music has been commissioned and performed by leading musicians and ensembles and her album, String Pads, nominated for a Grammy in 2014. Tabakova wrote Whispered Lullaby, a short work for viola and piano in 2004. She says in her program notes for this work, Quote, this musical sketch was inspired by a passage from Goethe's Faust, where the spirits paint a nocturnal picture of a still lake reflecting a glistening full moon. Let us listen to Whispered Lullaby, performed by Maxim Rizanov, viola, and Evelyn Chang, piano. Whispered Lullaby for Viola and Piano by Bulgarian-British composer Dobrinka Tepakova, performed by Maxim Rizanov, Viola and Evelyn Chang, Piano. 
Today in Sampani Meter, we listen to music evocative of beauty, brilliance, and transcendence by composers Eidor Vigilovos and Dobrinka Tabakova. I hope you enjoyed these meditative selections and found in them a pause for the busyness of our world. This is Lia Uribe, professor of music and associate dean at the University of Arkansas Fulbright College of Arts and Sciences, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. Sound Perimeter is a show written and hosted by me and produced by Timothy Dennis, KUAF 91.3 in Fayetteville, Arkansas. This segment is dedicated to diverse voices in and around music. I hope it will expand your knowledge and connection to inclusive sounds and let music infiltrate your lives and transform your realities. I'll see you soon. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, constructing the third edition of Welcoming Week NWA. So really belonging is about the fit between yourself and and your community and, and what's around you. You know, and when you feel like you belong, you feel emotionally connected, you feel welcomed, you feel included, you feel satisfied in your community. Listen tomorrow at noon and 7 p.m. on 91.3 KUAF. This weekend on the Vinyl Hour, we sit down with Kenny Kemp to talk about Dennis Pop and Sharon Studios, the Swedish production house famous for creating the new sound of American boy bands and pop stars in the late 90s and early 2000s. There's like a Swedish tradition or mindset kind of of like scanning the whole globe and taking things from multiple countries and repurposing it or repackaging it. So they were able to combine the big melodies of rock and heavy metal songs. And then they combine that with the beats and the melodies and the rhythms of hip hop and R&B. And that was how they came up with like Swedish pop, which is It's not even like Swedish pop, it's just that was the birth of modern pop. Like in the 90s, United States pop music was like soulful, R&B, it was hip-hop, boys to men, Janet Jackson, Mariah Carey. And then all of a sudden, two boy bands came out and then Britney Spears came out. And it was like, no one was doing anything like that. No one had heard anything like that. And it was the birth of the modern pop music, and even more specifically, the like subgenre of bubblegum pop. That's coming up this Saturday at five on KUAM. You had me at Britney Spears. You can hear the Vinyl Hour Saturday at 5 p.m. 91.3 KUAF. And if you're away from a radio dial, you can ask your smart speaker to please play KUAF. And we also have a 24-7 classical HD station, KUAF2, and a jazz and local music HD station, KUAF3. You can find those on your HD radio or 
at KUAF.com. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Greenwood, and Hazel Valley. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors today included Jacqueline Froelich, Jack Travis, Paul Gatling, Kyle Kellums, and Leah Uribe. The membership director here at KUAF is Brett Ratliff. And as we enter into a season of fundraising here at KUAF, I hope you'll take just a moment to think of all of the stories, the partners, and regular programming you depend and rely on six days a week here at Ozarks at Large. We can't do it without your support, so I hope you'll take a moment to show us how much you rely on this station and on Ozarks at Large to bring you arts and culture, news, and more day in and day out here at KUAF. You can make a gift right now at supportkuaf.com. Today's show was produced inside the Bruce and Ann Applegate New Studio 2 from the Carver Center for Public Radio. I'm Matthew Moore. Thanks for being with us on this Thursday. Have a good day and be well. Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, presents its 69th season beginning September 23rd at Walton Arts Center with Leonard Bernstein's Symphonic Dances from West Side Story. The eight-concert season features classics, new voices, the annual Christmas show, a concert for families, and a world premiere. Tickets and full-season lineup at sonamusic.org. Watch the big league stars of tomorrow right here at home with Northwest Arkansas Naturals Baseball at Arvest Ballpark in Springdale. Ticket information and a full list of promotions are available at nwanaturals.com.